Okay. So what have we been going over the last few weeks? The Beatitudes, that's right. And uh, what did we, what were the first two Beatitudes that we talked about? Who can remember? Blessed are the, here you go, Thomas, poor in spirit, very good, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, yep, and then the second one that we talked about was blessed are those who mourn, for they will be, close, comforted, that's right, two weeks ago, We talked about blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Very good, Joel. And we also talked about blessed are those who, (laughs) just keep saying meek. Blessed are those who are, oh man, I'm so hungry. Hunger and, (laughs) blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall what? Mm-hmm. They shall be filled or satisfied. Okay? So tonight we are going to talk about two more Beatitudes. The first one is Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, which says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Who can tell me what, um, what it means to be merciful? You guys read through it, didn't you? Wink. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Did you guys ever play that game Mercy when you guys were kids? Um, I remember playing Mercy with my my little sister one time when we were at daycare. And when Mercy, do you guys know Mercy is the game where you hold someone's hands like they're across from you and you try to like bend the hands as hard as you can, and then and then they say Mercy when they when it hurts too much, and then you have to let go, right? So they say Mercy. And I remember being at daycare once with my little sister, and we were playing a game of Mercy, and she hurt me really bad, and she wouldn't let go when I said Mercy, so then I, like, hit her in the face. (laughs) But then she kicked me in the stomach. (laughs) That was the first. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding. We were, like, on top of each other, like, beating the crud out of each other. It was the the first and only time I've ever been in timeout was from a game of Mercy. Christina, my sister Christina. Uh, I don't know. I hit her in the face, I think. I don't know. I think I just wriggled out. What do you want? Do you want a reenactment? I don't know. <laughs> you and me later. <laughs> yeah, I was a really good kid. Um, but I really like this concept of mercy just because I think it's kind of a lot like um, what we talked about a few weeks ago, being meek. And how being meek is a symbol of, like, people think that it's weakness, right? People think if you're meek, then you're weak. And I think mercy is the same kind of thing, where people think if you have mercy on someone, then that means you're weak. And you don't have what it takes to, like, give them what they deserve. Um, But it's not that way at all. Um, I think that you can have mercy. I think there are two different kinds of mercy. One is a mercy on someone who hasn't necessarily hurt you personally, but just you kind of feel compassion for them. And then the other is against someone who, who did something to you personally. But I, um, I really like this concept of mercy because, I don't know, I think it's something that we can all do. So 
it's just interesting. So the first blank is, what is mercy? Mercy is, if you're following along, love in action. Love in action. Um, it means that you don't necessarily just see a problem, but you actually do something about it. I think so often we just say, oh, I have mercy on that person. There is a homeless guy. Mercy granted, that's right. Or we say, oh, that person is getting bullied. Mercy on you. But you actually have to do something about it in order for it to be mercy. The difference between sympathy or compassion and mercy is that there is actual action. Um, so I like this thing that I found when I was researching for the sermon. It says, I see the need, and then I am moved by the need, and then I meet the need. So there are three aspects of it. You see it. You are moved by it, which means something happens in your heart that makes you want to stop, makes you want to do something about it, and then you actually go and do something about it. Um, I have brought candy for anyone who brought their Bibles. Go grab it. That doesn't count, Joel. Um, so there's a piece of candy somewhere along the wall because somebody named Jarrett and Thomas threw it. But if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 6, verse 35 through 36. Luke 6, 35 through 36. Luke 6, 35 through 36. Uh, yeah, if you can do it quietly. So if you bring your Bibles next week, you'll get a little snack during Yoth Group. Okay. Kiona. They, Mitch, Emily went to go get her Bible in her car. Okay, so Luke chapter 6, verses 35 through 36. Okay? Okay, so Luke 6, 35 through 36. I've said that like 18 times. Hey, listen, please. Hi. Hello. Okay. Luke 6, 35 through 36 but it says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And I like that because it doesn't say, uh, love your best friend, love your family, love your youth pastors, your teachers. What does it say? It says, but love your enemies. But love your enemies. And lend to them without expecting anything in return. How, how easy is that to give to someone and not expect anything in return? Like I know sometimes my friends always want to borrow money. Um, not that one. He's usually pretty okay. But sometimes my friends just are like, man, I need some money. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And in my head I'm thinking, okay, well, how am I going to pay my bills this week? What am I going to do if I don't have this money? But how, how hard is that to like give something to someone and not expect anything in return? Is that difficult or is it easy? Okay, but in general, nope, save it for a small group. Um, I would say for me, it's probably pretty difficult to give without expecting anything in return. Is that fair? Does anybody else feel that way? It's sometimes pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, but it says, be merciful just as your father is merciful, our father being God. Um, and I love that concept that God never asks us to do anything that he doesn't already do himself. <laughs> Mitchell, I love you. Um, because 
I, don't, I feel like God, sometimes people have this perception like God sits up in heaven and is like, do this, do this, do this. Ah, I'm God. But it says, do it because I did it. Because I'm God and, and I expect this of you. Exactly. He backs up his words. So be merciful just as your father is merciful. The idea is that they possess a compassionate heart leading one to acts of mercy, the purpose of which is to relieve the suffering and misery of the object of that compassion. So to relieve the suffering and misery. Why is mercy important? If you have your Bibles, Hebrews 2.17. Hebrews 2.17. Hebrews 2.17. It says, for this reason... He had to be made like them. Who is he? He had to be made like them. Who is he? Who had to be made like, like us? Jesus Christ, that's right. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Okay? If you're following along, I know I kind of went through the verses fast. But next week, Bible's for everybody. So the first, or the second blanks are, God had mercy on us first. God had mercy on us first. It's this concept, like I was just talking about, where God doesn't ask us to do anything that he isn't already doing. God had mercy on us when he sent Jesus to die for us. When he sent Jesus to walk on the earth in skin as a human, to go through everything that we go through, to endure everything that we endure, Jesus was still able to have mercy so we should have mercy as well. And God had mercy on us because, you know, in the beginning, God made the garden. He made Adam and Eve, right? Everybody was chilling. Everything was perfect, right? There was no shame. There was no sorrow or pain or anything. And then, and then what happened? Sorrow and pain. That's right. Satan came and messed it all up, and we've been failing ever since, right? But it's this idea that God has something better for us. And it's mercy is one of those things. If we have mercy on each other, if we have mercy on each other as Christians and as a church, and we have mercy on the people who need it, maybe the people who don't believe in Jesus or are our enemies or whatever. Um, it's like that concept of bringing heaven to earth, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago as well. Okay. So we receive God's mercy first. Our job as followers is to show up mercy to others in return. And I think this is on your papers. It says, grace is getting what we do not deserve, okay? When we taught junior high, and you get, most of you guys were in junior high with us, what was the, um, the metaphor or whatever that we used for grace? Do you guys remember? It was a Christmas present. Grace is the brand new Xbox and the plasma screen TV just given to you for no reason. Here you go. I love you, Thomas. Here's a present. Thank you for being you. You don't even have to let me over and, and let me use it. Just have it. It's for you. Oh, and, um, and for you guys over here, you two, brand new cars and college paid for. No big deal. Yeah. You're welcome. No big deal. It's, it's getting something that you do not deserve. It means that you are loved so much. Here you go. Here's this gift of grace, okay? Grace being when we mess up and we sin, God still loves us anyway. But mercy, and they kind of go hand in hand. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, okay? 
So mercy is us not going to hell. Grace is us getting to go to heaven. Okay? Um, James chapter 2, verse 13 says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I like that. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It means that no matter what happens, no matter who's judging you, no matter what you think God thinks of you, mercy is always going to win. God is always going to have mercy on you, regardless of what you're going through or what you've done. And lastly, Luke 6, 37 through 38, it says, Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Okay? This idea that if you give mercy, what will happen to you? You'll, you will receive it. That's right. Okay? The more merciful you are, no, that's not true. God will always have mercy on you, no matter what you do. Okay? But the more mercy you have on others, the better it is for everybody. Okay? Got it? Yeah? Everybody's good? Next part. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. What does that say? Read it to me. I'm glad someone's listening. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Oh, sorry. Do you guys want to read it in unison to me? Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Great. Uh, pure in heart. Yep. The message version of this verse says, you are blessed when you get your inside world, your inside world, your mind and your heart put right, so then you can see God in the outside world. Oh, I like that. It's the message version of this. Okay. So what does it mean to be pure at heart? What do you guys think? Pure in heart. Innocence. What do you mean by innocence? What else do you guys think? Pure at heart. Well, I'll tell you what I think when I first... Oh, do you have something to add? Shh, shh, pure at heart. Innocence? Yep. Okay. Well, when I first read this, I thought that it meant sin. Pardon me? Um, I thought that it meant sin. Pure in heart means not having any sin in your life, right? You think pure in heart, I, 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 don't, I don't sin. I'm a good person, blah, blah, blah. It definitely means, I think a lot of it has to do with innocence as well, but just that you don't sin. You don't screw up. Got nothing bad going on. That means you're pure in heart, right? Wrong. Pure in heart, pure in heart, okay? It is not what is on your surface, but what is at your center, Not what is on your surface, but what is at your center. That's exactly right. It is your motivations, okay? What are your motivations? Why are you doing what you do, okay? 
So um, a pure heart is a heart that is um, it's pure in motives and exhibits single-minded, single-mindedness, undivided devotion, and spiritual integrity, a deep desire for nothing but God and his will. Okay. So pure heart, pure heart is innocence. It's not sinning. It's, it has to do with what's inside. And, and we like to think that our insides are good. You know, if you just do good things for good people because it makes you feel better about yourself, people think, oh, yeah, that's great. You must be a really good person. But God doesn't ask us of that. God asks us to have our hearts aligned with his. He wants us to do what he calls us to do, not because it makes us feel good, but because it pleases him. And I know that that's a really hard thing for me. Like, sometimes I get so on this track of, like, okay, I'm helping people. And it doesn't matter if it's what God wants because it just makes me feel good. And God wants me to feel good, right? So I'm just doing all of these things, helping people, doing whatever. But maybe that's not what God wants for me that day, right? Maybe God wants me to do something different and I'm not listening. So the, the idea is that if your motivations have to be aligned with God. It has to be what God wants and not what you want. Okay, so to be pure in heart is when you have God at your center, as God is the center of your motivations. Not yourself, not your friends, not your family, not your school, not Matthew and Marissa, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend. God. Anyone else that I missed there in my list? No? Good. Okay. So Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it says, After removing Saul, he made David their king, and he testified concerning him, okay? Testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Have you guys heard that? David is a man after God's own heart. Okay, we know that David sinned. We know that David messed up. There was great stories in the Bible about how he, he saw a woman on a roof bathing, and he thought she was pretty, and he had to have her, and slept with her, and got her pregnant, and then had her husband killed. That doesn't sound too awesome, right? But David was still a man after God's own heart, and even though David sinned, and even though David messed up, David had good intentions, and and he, he put God as the center of his motivations, aside from that one little thing there. What? You never hear the bad stuff? We'll work on it. So we know that David sinned, but his desires and motivations were aligned with God because he was after a man after God's own heart. Okay, and that's what we need to do. To be pure in heart, we need to be after God's own heart. And everything that we do, our motivations need to be to please and glorify God, not to please ourselves. Okay? So pure in heart refers to both literal purity and being free and unsoiled from sin, but it also refers to the motive behind a person's heart. Um, and there's a paraphrase of Jesus here. It says, I desire a heart that is unmixed in its devotion and motivation. Unmixed in its devotion and motivation. So it's single-mindedness and loyalty to God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Okay? So the importance of the heart. A good man, this is uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good heart, out of the good stored up from his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up from his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I like this concept because, this concept, I like what, I like what this says. Because, because if I'm having a bad day, it doesn't matter how hard I try to be really, really nice. I'm the kind of person who whatever's in my heart is just going to come out. You know what I mean? So if you've got evil in your heart, 
my heart's on my sleeve. That's right, Em. You got it, girl. And I, I believe that. I believe that with everybody. It doesn't matter how hard you try. Hey, Joel, wake up. Hi. Hi. Why don't you sit up? That'll help. Um, it doesn't matter what you have going on on your outside. Your insides are always going to come out eventually. It just, it just is nature. It's going to happen. So if you have evil and, and meanness and sin in your heart, it doesn't matter how hard you try to hide it, it'll come out. Because the heart, you ask for forgiveness. You talk it through with God. You make God the center of your life, center of your motivations. That's what I would do. I mean, you got to talk to God about it. Yeah? I, we could talk later. Wink! <laughs> um, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, okay? So whatever, whatever's in your heart is going to come out. Promise you. So you want to have a good heart. You want to have a heart that's focused on God because then what comes out of your mouth? Good things about who? Good things about who? About God. Yeah. And that's the point of all this, right? That we're just glorifying God in everything we do. Okay, so um, in this one, there's, I mean, on all of these, they have promises at the end. But this one, it says, for they will see God. Now, do you guys think you're really going to see God if you have a pure heart? If you have a pure enough heart, you're going to see God. You think God is going to, like, manifest himself in front of you in, like, a big cloud that's, like, big and shiny and sparkly? He could. He could. But just because you aren't seeing, like, God move around in a big, puffy cloud of smoke with sparkles doesn't mean that you're not pure in heart. Okay? Seeing God, and this is your blank, seeing God is knowing God. Seeing God is knowing God. It's the same kind of thing that we talked about. If you're, if you're after God's heart and your motivations are to glorify God, you're going to get to know him. And how do we get to know God? What are some ways that we get to know God? Read what? Read the Bible. Read my Bible and pray. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Read the Bible, pray. Okay. Um, so we get to know God by reading his word and by talking with him, right? And by listening to what he says. If we align our motivations and our attitudes to those of God, we will see him. We will not physically see him, but we will spiritually see him. We will see him with our hearts and in our actions, and we will feel him. Wherever we go, we'll be able to hear his voice, have conversations, that sorts of stuff. Our heart will be aligned with his, and we will learn discernment and begin to see and understand as best as we can his will. So you are God's deepest desire. But are, is, is God your deepest desire? It's something that you guys need to think about on your own. Um, I like these two because they're both qualities. Um, these are both acts of the heart. I mean, I think they all are. But I feel like we have to, like, earn things all the time. You know, like, oh, I want to be strong and I want to be all of these things. But I think that all of these are things that have to do with our insides that no one can change for us. I can't change any of you guys. Your parents can't change you. Only God can change you. And that's in here. Um, and they all come from learning and knowing God. So we have one more verse, and then Mitchell and Emily are going to do a special song for us. A special song. Um, I pray, this is Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, or that they may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints.
So we're going to sing a song called Open the Eyes of My Heart. It's an older song. It's one of my faves. Um, but as we sing, I want you guys to just, it's, I want you guys to just, if you don't want to sing, then don't sing. You don't have to sing. But take this time to, we're going to turn out the lights and, and just open up your heart to God. Okay, open up the eyes of your heart. And listen to what God has. Let him move in you. Let him talk to you. Because it's about knowing God and about seeing him in, in, in times like this, okay? Okay. We are going to pray. Vamos a orar. Sí. Gracias. Okay. God, thank you so much for this night and for this time that you give us to just um, come together and, and learn more about you and, and worship you, Lord, in song and in our actions and, um, and just spending time with each other. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts right now, God, that we would see you, um, that we would come to know you more deeply, God. Lord, we desire you so deeply. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here tonight. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would meet us wherever we're at, Lord. Speak to us, and I pray that we would just draw near to you as close as we can, Lord. And we love you so much. In your name.